0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here today. For those of you who don't know, my name is Greg, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, speaking of me, I, I, know it's, I know it's pretty hard to tell just by looking at me, but um, I've been in my 40s for over a year now, and um, let me say, I've been feeling it. Okay. Uh, like some days it feels like no matter how much sleep I get or how much coffee I drink or how many vitamins I take, I just always feel ready for a nap, you know, and any over 40-year-olds over feel like that, yeah. Also, my back hurts. All the time. But uh, recently, um, we, we had all the young adults over on uh, Sunday evening, and, and I just read a passage to encourage them. And, and I was encouraged by it because I, I was reminded that this feeling of being wiped isn't just reserved for the, for the over 40s. In fact, Isaiah 40, verse 30 reminds us that even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men. Shall fall exhausted. And you know, I found that verse so encouraging. (laughs) It's such a good reminder for me because it means that being exhausted doesn't necessarily mean that or imply that I'm getting older, right? Since it happens to young people too. So thank you, young people, um, for also getting exhausted. Makes me feel better. No, for for real though, getting worn out, um, feeling weary, it happens to all of us, right? And, and that's why we all know that it's so important to do things like, you know, take care of our bodies, making sure we're getting the right amount of sleep and exercise and eating a balanced diet and all that good stuff, also that we have the energy and sustenance to make it through our day, right? But this morning, I, I want to emphasize that, that in a similar way, but greater way, the Christian life also requires the right kind of strength and sustenance in order to be lived out, so that we don't grow weary or faint. And in fact, last week in our, in our second message through our series in Colossians, Complete in Christ, we, we started making our way through the Apostle Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae, where we read that his prayerful desire for them was to grow in the knowledge of God and wisdom and spiritual understanding so that they could live a life worthy of and pleasing to God. That's the outcome. We want to live a life worthy and of God and pleasing to Him. But in praying that, he's also keenly aware from, from his own experience that this life of pleasing God isn't, isn't something that they could ever do in their own strength. And so that's why he also prays that God would empower them and strengthen them to be able to do it. And we're no different today. We, we need God's strength to live the life He's called us through Christ to live. And, and that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. So if, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 1, 9 to 14, we're going to be reading through the bulk of Paul's prayer to the Colossians, just like we did last week. But uh, today we're going to be placing most of our focus on verse 11, just reading through the whole prayer to get context. So if you want to turn with me to Colossians 1, we're going to be reading from 9 to 14. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Colossae. He says, "...for this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might." so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the word of the Lord. One of the uh, most incredible things about being a Christian is discovering that through Jesus, God has not only rescued us from the power of sin and death, but he has also called us to partner with him in accomplishing his will and purpose in this world. And and to be honest, the the idea of that is is so incredible that, that for me, it's hard to wrap my head around sometimes. I mean, who are we? That the holy and, and awesome God, creator of the universe, would be mindful of us. Right? Who are we that he would call us to partner with him and, and represent Christ and his kingdom on this earth? And yet, and yet here we are, just as Paul writes in this passage, called as the church to, to grow in the knowledge of the will of God so that we can accomplish his will. So, so, that, so that with wisdom and spiritual understanding, we can live a life that's worthy of His name and pleasing to Him through bearing fruit through good works. Ephesians 2.10 says it like this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So each of us as, as followers of Jesus has been specifically called and created before the earth began to live a life that's pleasing to God. We've we've been rescued by Jesus Christ to partner with him. He doesn't need us, but he chose us to partner with him. That is incredible. But yet, the part in Paul's prayer, which we just read, where he prays that that they would be strengthened in power by the glorious might of God so that they can have endurance, also strongly implies three things concerning this Christian life that we've been called to live. And, And these things are important for us to grasp. So, three implications in his prayer, or in that verse 11. The first implication is that this type of life will require patience and endurance. This type of life will require patience and endurance. In other words, it's not, it's not gonna be a walk in the park. We'll require patience as we wait on the Lord and deal with one another. We'll require endurance as we face obstacles, temptations, and frustrations that'll try to stop us or slow us down. This this morning, my van wouldn't start. There's there's a there's a little obstacle right before church. Right before. And, and it's a reminder. Those things are a reminder that I need to look to God. So while, while living a righteous and, and God-glorifying life in this sinful world is, is, is wonderful and full of purpose and full of goodness and joy beyond our circumstances, it's not always going to be easy. Right? Peter wrote that we shouldn't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon us to test us. And of course, Jesus even warned his disciples as well, saying that we will face sorrow and trouble and spiritual battles and persecution in this world, much of it as a result of a life that's pleasing to God. And so this type of life will take patience and endurance. Which leads us to the second implication, and it's that we cannot... And we're never meant to live this Christian life in our own strength. The kind of patience and endurance we require is supernatural. The kind of patience and endurance we require is supernatural. It needs to be sustained by God, which is why Paul's praying for this, for the church in Colossae. And then finally, the third implication here is that if the Christian life is impossible to live without God's power working in us, then it should inevitably be a life that's lived out beyond our natural capabilities. To that end, if, if, if we took a moment to think about our individual lives, our daily activities, interactions, our schedules, Is the way we're living really requiring the power of the God of the universe to accomplish it? And and, and don't get me wrong here. The, the grace and presence of God is active and alive in even the smallest and mundane daily activities. We, we can and should work as unto the Lord and glorify him in everything and in all that we do, whether we're doing the laundry or, or going to work or changing diapers or serving at church or proclaiming the gospel. But my question is, are we though? Are we? Are, are we leaning on God in these things? And more than that, are we actually living a life that requires the power and might of God to move in and through us? Well, think of it this way. If, when, when others look at, at, at our life and, and see how we live, would, would, they, would they say something like these words from Philippians 2.13? Whoa, for it is God who works in you, both to will. And to work for his good pleasure. Is it, is it obvious? Or could we actually claim about our own lives with confidence like Paul does in Colossians one twenty nine, When he says, I labor for this. Striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Or conversely, do we just look the same as our unbelieving neighbors who are also Mowing their lawns, raising their kids, going to school or work, managing their lives, donating to nonprofits, watching Netflix, and paying their bills without with all in their own strength. Bible scholars Scott Pace and Daniel Aiken write, ultimately, if we pursue paths that can be accomplished in our own strength and ability, then we have achieved something less. Than God's will. I read that this week and it it hit me hard. We have achieved something less than God's will. But if we're living in the power of God, we should be set apart from the world. We should look differently. We should be living differently than the world. And we should be living beyond our own capabilities. Because again, as, as Christians, we were, cho- we were chosen in Christ before the world was even created to walk with boldness and faith and in power and in the might of the God who created the heavens and the earth. We were called to be temples of the living God and to do good works in his name with the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and God, just, God doesn't... Doesn't just call us to this, right? He equips us for it. He empowers us to do it. Isaiah 40, 28 to 31 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable, and He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That, that's a promise for us. That's a promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God gives power and strength to us so that we can live this Christian life. So that we can run. So that we can soar. So that we can walk in a way that's worthy of our calling with patience and endurance. And if our lives don't reflect this, or, or if on the flip side we're, we're trying to accomplish everything Jesus told us to do, and, and we're trying to do it in our all in our own strength, and subsequently finding that we're constantly burnt out or exhausted... Either way, these are signs that we're not accessing the power and might of God that's readily and freely available to us, and that we need to start doing that. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's ask, what is this power and might of God that Paul's praying for here? And I would say there's three aspects to it. And first of all, it's a power that comes through the word of the cross, 1 Corinthians 1.18. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross is the power of God. So the word of the cross, this is referring to the gospel, right? The good news that Jesus shed his blood in our place at the cross as our perfect sacrifice in order to set us free from the bondage of sin and death and overcome evil so that by his grace, in the power of his resurrection, all who believe in his name can be reconciled to God the Father and live out the eternal and righteous life we were created to live. So through Jesus' work on the cross, we've been given access to the power of God. In other words, when we proclaim the name of Jesus... We're just singing about it earlier. When we proclaim the name of Jesus, we proclaim the victory that he won at the cross in his death and resurrection, which is the power of God. It's in Jesus' name that we're redeemed, that we're healed and set free. It's, It's by Jesus' name that demons flee in fear. It's through Jesus' name that we can go forth and boldly proclaim his good news to the world. And it's only by the power of Jesus' name that we can confidently come to the throne of God and receive his mercy and grace. Which leads us to the second way that God's power comes to us. Secondly, we're empowered by his presence. So in Joshua 1.9, God calls Joshua, right? And then he says to him, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When, when God commands us or calls us to go, he goes with us and he equips us for the task. His, his glorious presence empowers us, comforts us, and strengthens us to live out the life he's called us to live. The, the Apostle Paul is a, a great example of this as well, which he writes to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.17. He says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So that through me the proclamation of the gospel might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. So God strengthens us with his very presence and grace so that we can accomplish his will. We can be confident in that. And in the same vein, the more we know him and understand his will, the more confident and boldly we'll become in living for him. And thirdly, in the the same way, we're also strengthened by his Holy Spirit. After Jesus gave his disciples the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that he taught them, he then basically says, but hold up, don't do it just yet. Go and pray and wait for the power of the Spirit to come upon you. And so that's what they did. And then on on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them like like flames upon their head. And it was at that very moment when they began to change the world for Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwelling in them empowered them to go forth with boldness and endurance. Even even in the face of both persecution and, and in the face of the power of the Roman Empire, they went and they proclaimed the good news of Jesus and his kingdom come, and they did mighty and miraculous works for the glory of God. So Jesus, he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit because nothing they accomplished in Jesus' name was possible without the power of the presence of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit actively working in and through them. And as Christians, we have access to that same power, the same name of Jesus, the same presence of God the Father, the same indwelling Holy Spirit, and therefore the same type of glorious and purposeful life that's worthy and pleasing to God. What would our lives or this church community look like if we fully walked in that power? The truth is, though, that that we're probably not going to tap into that power or draw on God's strength unless we're in a position to use it, or at least until we recognize that we need it. For as the Bible reminds us, God's power is only made perfect in weakness. God's power is only made perfect in weakness. It it sounds counterintuitive, but hear me out. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10 When I am weak, then I am strong. When we're weak, that's when God's strength is able to reveal itself and float through us. Because that's when we need him to. There, and, and there are so many stories in, in the Bible of God accomplishing his will. I was, I was talking to my wife this week, and I was like, what are some stories where, you know, um, God works in weakness? And we realize it's every single character in, in the Bible, Right? For example, Moses, who admitted he was unqualified because of his speech, also a murderer. And Gideon, who is who is full of doubt and and, and kept testing God. Or Paul himself, who was previously anti-Christian, and even throughout his ministry, he had a thorn in his side, he writes, which God chose not to remove, to remind Paul that his grace is sufficient. The list goes on. It's through our weaknesses that God's strength shows up in a mighty way. Again, because that's when we need God to move. In other words, God's power will often only be revealed through us when we've submitted ourselves to God. And of course, when we find ourselves in situations where we just cannot do it on our own. In other words, we're strongest when we're on our knees. We're strongest when we're on our knees. And to the eyes of the world, this, this seems like foolishness. But in the kingdom of God, we find that the road to glory is through humility. The path to strength is through weakness. The rise to power is through submission. The way of life is by laying down our lives. And of course, this is the way of Jesus, which, which he exemplified for us. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, For he was crucified in weakness. But lives by the power of God. And for we are also weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. So Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, and through that was raised up into resurrection life by the power of God, and he now sits at the right hand with all authority over the living and the dead. His power, his authority came through weakness. And in the same way, when we humble ourselves and when we lay down our lives before the Lord, acknowledging our weakness, acknowledging our need for Him, He will raise us up in glory. When we place our trust and our hope in Him, He will strengthen us and equip us to do what He's called us to do. Ultimately, because that's the point. He wants us to depend on Him. To be in, in that relationship with Him, precisely so that He can work in and through us. Which means then to live a life that's pleasing to Him is to live a life of dependence on Him. And we talked about that last week as well. That means abiding in Him, depending on Him. But what this also means then is that we, as Christians, need t- to step out in faith. We need to step out of our comfort zones and we need to attempt things for God, according to his will, of course, that, that we could never do on our own. Because that's when we'll need him and that's, that's when we're going to start experiencing his power and his glorious might working in and through us. The fact that I'm, I'm standing up here on the stage right now is a testimony to this. For those of you who don't know, I'm I'm a textbook introvert. I'm I'm a shy person. I would rather be hiding in my room reading a book than standing in front of a bunch of people like I'm doing right now. (laughs) Every week it terrifies me. And the truth is that I'm only able to do this week in and week out because it's the Lord who sustains me, it is the Lord. And his gospel that compels me to do this. I know I need God. I figured that out 13 years ago. I know I need God to fulfill the calling that he's given me. And and I'm grateful that that he's always faithful to supply everything I need when I need it. And then as soon as church is over, I fall asleep. (laughs) This is amazing to think about though. Because quite often, I, I, I think one of the things that prevents us from, from obeying Jesus' commandments or stepping out in faith is that we think we're unqualified to do this, this thing he's called us to do, or we're unprepared, or we're unknowledgeable, or we're unable, or we're ungifted for that specific task, or, or un-whatever else, right? Or, or maybe we think we have too much on our plate already, or we're worried that we'll get burnt out, or we're worried that we'll grow weary, And and while these things might be true, if it it was up to us and in our own strength, the reality is is that if God is calling us into it, then it's those very situations which create the precise opportunity for God to move powerfully within us and through us, and furthermore, so so that he's glorified through it and not us. Because when we accomplish something that we could never do on our own, That's proof that God is at work. As the late theologian A.W. Tozer once wrote, someone may try to give me credit for something they think I have done for God, but in actuality, God is doing it through His Spirit, using me as an instrument. There is no real sense in which we are able to do spiritual work of any kind without the Holy Spirit. And this is also, again, why Paul writes that he boasts in his weaknesses in trials and persecutions and all these things because that's when God shows up. And so, again, we, we move in power in the glorious might of God when we lean on God. We're strongest when we're on our knees. And when we're talking about pow- power, we also need to understand what that looks like Or what it's meant for. Of course, the world sees power as a way to dominate, control, demand, or lord over those who are powerless. But the way of Jesus is the opposite. Philippians 2.48 shows us what power looks like. When it says, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of of others. That is what power looks like. And then he says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is what power looks like. On this, uh, David Williams, president of Taylor Seminary, writes, the way of Jesus is not to use one's power for oneself, but rather for the sake of others. Submission rather than domination is the appropriate use of power. Of course, that's exactly why Paul points out that proclaiming a crucified Messiah is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. It simply doesn't make sense to submit or give one's life for the other, it is perceived as either weakness or foolishness. But again, it's through weakness that we're made strong. God takes the weak to shame the strong in this world. He uses what the world deems as as weakness, submission, serving, laying down our lives for the sake of others, to show what real power looks like. Of course, it doesn't take power. It doesn't take the power of God to live like the world, does it? It doesn't take the power of God to serve ourselves. It doesn't, it doesn't take the power of God to hate someone or envy them or get offended or hold a grudge or lose our patience. Right? It doesn't take the power of God to pridefully look down on someone with disdain. It doesn't take the power of God to skip out on a church prayer night so we can stay at home and doom scroll on Instagram. Right? It doesn't take the power of God to be greedy. And it doesn't take the power of God to treat yourself, right? No, but but it does take the supernatural power of God working mightily in us in order for us to lay down our lives so that we can love him with all that we are and truly love our neighbors as ourselves, looking to their interests above ours. And it does take the power of God to be able to forgive one another and bear each other's burdens. It does take the power of God working in us to inhabit the fruit of the Spirit, like kindness, patience, and self-control towards others. We talked about last week. We also needed to discover our spiritual gifts. And to be able to use them, not for ourselves or for our own glory, but to faithfully and continually serve and encourage one another without getting burnt out. Right? It takes the power of God to endure and and persevere in faith and to not live like the world. To resist temptation and evil and to overcome sin and worldly desires. And, And we need it to have the boldness and the wisdom to proclaim the gospel to the lost, whether in our homes or schools or offices. We need Jesus. We can't do this on our own. We need his wonder-working power and glorious might flowing through us and in us to live the life that's pleasing to him. And again, the good news is that the Lord does strengthen us. He equips us for whatever he's calling us to do. In fact, he's a never-ending source of strength and power who's always with us and who faithfully supplies us with, with whatever we need, whenever we need it. Which means that our lives don't have to be lived in defeat or in fear of the enemy or of what's going on in culture. Or fear of trials or of stepping out in faith. And, and, and we don't have to feel exhausted in our souls or spiritually spent by trying to do it all ourselves. Jesus exchanges that yoke with his, right? Which is easy and light. As Robert Hampshire writes, we can live victoriously in this life by God's grace. But it only comes through tapping into God's limitless resources, being empowered through the Holy Spirit, and living in the fullness of God. The well from which we get the power to live life for God will never run dry, no matter how many times that we draw from it. The powerful presence of God in our lives is not a one-time thing. It is eternal. It is the source from which our souls are being daily renewed and regularly transformed as we study Scripture as we pray, as we fast, and as we worship. So, again, when we lean on the Lord and when we acknowledge our need for Him daily, we'll also be able to proclaim with confidence, just as the Apostle Paul once wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or as the psalmist wrote, My flesh and my heart, my heart may fail, but God is the strength and my portion forever. And again, this is, this, is, this is how we get that strength. First Peter 5, 6-7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Cast, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. God, God cares for you. He's not calling into this life to, to make us burnt out or, or, or stressed out. He's calling us into this life so that we'll depend on Him and find our strength in Him and do mighty things for Him. That's the life that pleases God, one that humbly looks to Him for power and strength. And, and again, this is what Paul's doing on behalf of the church in Colossae. Right? He's submitting himself to the Lord in prayer and asking that they may be strengthened and power by God's glorious might so that they can be patient and steadfast as they live for Him. And so, I want to encourage you all to do the same thing this morning. Let's let's submit ourselves to the Lord and wait on Him. Let's humble ourselves before Him and acknowledge that we need Him. Let's repent of, of, of the moments where we've tried to do it in our own strength and turn back to Him and acknowledge that we cannot live this life without Him. And then ask him with confidence to fill you and others with his spirit. Ask him to embolden each one of us in the powerful name of Jesus. And ask him to give us the courage and grace that we need to live out the life that's pleasing to him. The life that depends on him. The life of patience and steadfastness. Bearing fruit through good works.